All right, I would like to read our two verses one more time. Luke chapter 2, verse 34 through 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Well, once again, Merry Christmas, and let me ask you, you don't need to answer out loud, but what do you want for Christmas? Well, I'm a pastor, and I can tell you what I want for Christmas. I want a sermon. And you say, what in the world does that, does that mean? The reality is there's only so many Christmas texts in the Bible. There's really only about four chapters that directly address Christmas, because uh, the Bible focuses much more on the cross than the, than the cradle. And really, if you don't get the cross, you'll probably miss the entirety of the meaning of the, of the Bible. And so I feel in a lot of ways when we come to this time of year, I feel it's kind of repetitive. Like, what in the world am I going to talk about? And for pastors, just like everybody else, and you know, we have the emotions of other people, it's, it's a very busy time of year. So I've spoke with some of you about how it's hard to come up with a sermon year after year after year, and really, God bless some of you. I mean, some of you, you just really encouraged me, while others of you, you've tried to encourage me, but when you think about your words, maybe it's not as encouraging as you thought. Um, some say to me, Pastor Jim, just do an old sermon. Just do an old sermon. I mean, really, people are so preoccupied, they're never going to remember what you said in the past. I'm like, thanks. Really, thanks for the encouragement. (laughs) So today we're going to go in Luke chapter 2 and talk about this old fellow Simeon. We've spoken about him before, but today from a different angle. Others of you say this. Listen, stop stressing about it. All you need to do is just read some classic sermons and just take their material Nobody will know the difference, and it will be good. I'm thinking like, so if it's my material, it won't be good. Is that what you're trying to tell me? (laughs) Well, so I was a little puzzled, so I called one of my mentors this year, and I asked him, what should I do in this situation? And I said, I'm leaning towards reading classic sermons and using some of their material. And he said, whatever you do, do not do that. I said, why? And he told me that years ago he did that, and he had a well-read man in his congregation who, quite frankly, did not like my friend. And so my friend prepared this way, and and as he gets up there and he's he's speaking his sermon, he said something really heart-piercing. And the well-read man who didn't like him stood up and looked at everybody in the congregation and yelled out, that sounds like Martin Luther to me. (laughs) And so my friend was just so embarrassed. And then he figured, well, keep going, keep going. And so he said something really, really deep and soul-searching. And the man stood up again, and he says, that sounds like Charles Haddon Spurgeon to me. So my friend was beginning to get very, very impatient. And then he decided, all right, I'm going to give an evangelistic appeal. So he said something very evangelistic, and the man stands up again. And everybody looks at him, and he goes, yep. I heard Billy Graham say that. Sounds like Billy Graham. Well, my friend, out of character, was totally exasperated. 
I mean, he was so angry at this man. He's like, listen, I know you don't like me. This is not the time. This is not the place. And the man is still standing up. People are looking at the pastor. People are looking at him. And he finally just loses it. My friend loses it. And he goes, would you please just sit down and shut up, you stupid idiot? And everybody just gasped. And the man did not sit down. He looked all around the congregation. He smiled. He said, now that sounds like our pastor. (laughs) In Luke chapter 2, not long after Christmas, an old man named Simeon was at the temple. And he sees Mary and Joseph with baby Jesus. Up until now in Luke's gospel, uh, every single account of a person associated with Christmas has been an account of the great joy that is going to be part of the coming of Jesus. And Simeon clearly appears to be a man full of joy, too. Simeon actually gets what he wants for Christmas. He also realizes something else that the world gets for Christmas. And that's the title of our message today, A Sign and a Sword for Christmas. So let's set the scene by backing up a, a number of verses to verse 25. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. You're like, what is the consolation of Israel? That has to do with God's Messiah coming to do God's work, not what the people want. We've been studying the Gospel of Matthew, not what the people want, which is freedom from Roman oppression, but, but he's coming for, to do God's work. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. <clears throat> Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that, and so it's a divine message, He would not see death, which leads a lot of us to think that he was an older man. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he would see the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed one, the the Savior, if you will. And so Simeon has this promise from God, and now, as he sees this child, it's being realized. Verse 27 So he came by the Spirit into the temple. He knows that the Holy Spirit leads him at the right time to come into the temple. And this is the third mention of the Holy Spirit with Simeon. And he is the sixth person in the Gospel of Luke to this point where we're told the Holy Spirit came upon that person with the arrival of Jesus. So again, verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms. So what's he's doing? He's receiving the consolation of Israel and blessed, or some versions say praised God and said. And, and what's happening now is there's this beautiful blessing. Uh, if you know anything about Latin, it's called the Nuke Dimittis. And so what happens next in verse 29 is Simeon expresses his confidence in God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So what is he saying? Lord, I am now ready to die because just as you promised me. So why is he ready to die? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, but He's not seen just salvation for himself. He's seen it for others too. Look at verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. 
Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to let you know you are most welcome here. You can actually cut the line in the cafe and tell them Pastor Jim said to do it. It's okay. So we're really, really glad that you're here today with us. And, and this, is, this is for you. This includes you, that you are invited to heaven, but you simply must respond to the Christmas child, to the message of Jesus Christ. You must put your trust in him. Verse 32, he continues, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? Those are the non-Jews. And so he talks about, he gives us now a prophecy of the prophet Isaiah uh, about when he talks about light, that light is the true knowledge of God that people have never seen or experienced before. So he says, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, that word glory was very, very important to the Israelites because God traveled in his glory with the Israelites in the wilderness uh, with Moses. So it was a big and important thing uh, to them. And this cloud of glory was special to them because it represented the presence of God. And, and now here Simeon is saying the presence of God is, is here. He is with us in the person of Jesus Christ And now, as followers of Jesus, we take that for granted. But this would be very unusual to these these people, especially bringing these two groups of people together, the Gentiles and the Jews, and listing the Gentiles first. Verse 33, and Joseph and his mother, because remember, Joseph was the adoptive father of Jesus, and Mary, the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And so even though they've been told by an angel what their son is going to be, Mary and Joseph still have a lot to learn about their little boy, about the Christ, their son, the Savior of the world. And while the first blessing is absolutely beautiful, what Simeon says next is actually rather strange and rather odd. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them. That would be Mary and Joseph. Jesus is God become a man. He doesn't need their their blessing. And said to Mary, his mother, he says this to Mary, behold, this child is destined for the fall of rising, uh, uh, for the fall and rising of many in Israel. I want you to bank those two words, fall and rising. And for many in Israel, when we think of Israel, we might in our kind of culture just say for religious people. And he says, and for a sign, you got to bank that word too, which will be spoken against, verse 35, yes, a sword, another word we have to bank. So we have to bank, uh, you know, destiny, uh, fall, rise, sign, sword. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is what he's saying to Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And we sit there and go, what thoughts is he actually talking about? Well, in our day and age, we know this. Many people say this, keep Christ in Christmas. While many, many other people want Christ out. And do you know that Simeon just told us why? Simeon just told us what the problem is. Now, I realize what I'm about to say is going to seem like heresy to some of you. Uh, To others of you, you'll be like, I can't believe a pastor would say such a thing. To others of you, you'll just be calling me Pastor Scrooge on the way out. 
But maybe, just maybe, Christ has been out of Christmas for such a long time that we don't even see it. That this is where the heresy part comes in. Maybe it would actually be better to leave him out. Because quite honestly, uh, growing up, I always thought, and when as I go around, I still think this, that Christmas is really about Santa Claus. And I've seen mangers with Santa Claus in the manger. Have you ever seen that? And people get offended. And I'm like, well, he's kind of the savior of Christmas in America. And, and so people have really taken him out and probably taken him out, I guess, since World War II. And so it's become a commercialized type of thing. And this may seem odd, but to be honest with you, it was not till I became a follower of Jesus, which was later in my life, that I realized how many people were actually against Jesus. How many people actually wanted nothing to do with him. And that's because many people are offended by Jesus. You know what they're offended by? They're not offended by his humility. They're fine with his humility. They're fine with his helping people. They're like, you know, Jesus just wants to help people. It's okay. What they're offended by is his exclusivity. When Jesus says, I am the only way to get to heaven, I am the only way to get to God. When Jesus says, I am the one who brings light in the midst of darkness. In John chapter 3, three verses after John three sixteen, you know the verse they hold up at the football games all of the time. And uh, there's a very, very cutting verse. It says this, it pierces really. John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation. People say, is it Jesus talking or is it John writing? We don't really know. It's the word of God. And this is the condemnation. Some versions say judgment, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the problem with Christmas is that people really don't want Christmas or the true meaning of Christmas. They don't mind the commercial meaning, but the Santa Claus meaning, but they don't, they don't want the true meaning. Now, Simeon is an excellent Bible teacher. We don't know who he was. We don't know whether he was a priest, just some devout man. We don't really know much about him. But what he's actually saying is this. It's not what we have done to Christmas. So maybe we have to get off that horse for a little bit. It's not what we've done to Christmas. It really, the matter is what God is doing and what God has done in Christmas. Because remember what he said in verse 34. He said that Jesus was destined for the fall and rising of many. So, so, so God is not surprised at the controversy. God is not surprised at it at all. He knows that he sent his son Jesus to be the great divider. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about whether we should have a manger scene in our town or not. I'm talking about heaven and hell. That's the great divider that Jesus is. And it's not that Jesus just happens to cause division. It's actually was part of his mission. It was the natural outcome of God becoming a man and coming to earth. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul uses the Old Testament to explain it. It says this, 
Romans 9.33, he says, as it is written, and what does he do? He takes the uh, prophet Isaiah and the psalmist and he puts it together. As it is written, behold, look, I lay a stone in Zion, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever, again, if you're here today, not a follower of Jesus, that would be part of you. You're whoever, that is for anybody. And whoever believes, more similar to our word trust, whoever believes on him, trusts on him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. Now, the Apostle Paul is telling us, Simeon had already told us that in God's plan, your response, my response to Jesus, whether we trust in him or reject him. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. So if you don't put your trust in Jesus, you don't believe on his name, as the apostle Paul said, that is in fact a rejection of Jesus. But your trusting or your rejection of Jesus actually determines your eternal destiny. Both Simeon and the Apostle Paul agree. They didn't know each other. They were a long period of time apart. If we reject Jesus, as Simeon says, we will fall. As the Apostle Paul says, we will be put to shame. In other words, we will have chosen not to enter the kingdom of heaven. Even Israel. Again, let's bring it into our context. Even religious people, it is dependent upon, quote unquote, religious people to put their trust in Jesus. See, that's what people don't like about Jesus. They don't like the exclusivity of him, that he is the only way. But if you put your trust in Jesus, God has promised that you, that I, we will rise. We will be raised from the dead to eternal life in heaven. Yet here's the truth of the matter. Before anyone can rise, they must fall. Instead of going around saying, well, I'm a religious person. Instead of going around saying, I'm a good person. The apostle James said this, if we have failed in one aspect of God's law, we have failed in the whole thing. Have any of you ever told a lie? If you say no, you're a liar. (laughs) And so we have failed in the whole thing. So how does one get to heaven? We actually have to admit John 3.19. We have to admit that, that light came into the world, but we love darkness rather than light. And then we have to call out for God's mercy. But all who call out, he will answer. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Pastor Jim, I get it, um, but I need a sign. I need a sign. No problem. Be happy to give you one. You want a sign? Okay. Let's go back 700 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 14. Moreover, the Lord said again, spoke again to Ahaz, saying, now Ahaz was a king who was kind of doing his own thing. And he was not trusting the Lord. The Lord said, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. And Ahaz says, I got a better plan, God. So he's not trusting the Lord. So, so, so the Lord just says to Ahaz, I love my people so much that even though you're kind of a dumb king, I'm willing to help the people. So he says this. The Lord's talking to him. 
Verse 11, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask nor test the Lord. What is he trying to do? He's trying to sound religious, right? And spiritual. Oh, I'm not going to test you, God. God just said, test me. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I have faith. I don't need to do that. All right, let me, let me translate for you what he just said. I'm going to do what I want. It's like people, you know, they're doing stuff and you know it's wrong. And you're like, um, you're really not supposed to be doing that. Like, oh, God told me to do that. You're like, you should be like, he didn't tell you that. You're lying. Or other people, you're saying, hey, can you help somebody out? And they're like, you know, they say, oh, I'll help you no matter when. You just call me and you call them. Like, I don't feel led to do that. Why don't you just say no? It's really simple. Just no. How many of you can say no? So he's trying to be spiritual. Verse 13. Then he, this would be Isaiah, said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Like you, you can get away with that spiritual mumbo jumbo with people, but God doesn't buy it for a second. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want a sign? You're getting a sign. Now, remember, this is written 700 years before Jesus lived. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, the virgin is Mary, and some of you say, well, Jesus' name is Jesus. I know Old Testament Joshua, that's not Emmanuel. It's, it's a title. It's a title. Matthew tells us in his gospel, chapter 1, the apostle Matthew says that Emmanuel means God with us. So we're going to call him that. We're going to say God is with us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ. But that sign, Jesus Christ, who points us to God, look at the end of verse 34, will be spoken against. That can also mean that he will be contradicted. Did you ever speak against God? Do you ever contradict God? Some of you are like, I don't want to say fess up to that one in church. The liar joke you got me with, Pastor Jim, but you're not going to get me with this one. Do you ever blame God for something? Do you ever contradict that, that God is good by the way you talk? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? I don't do it too often in front of you guys. I really mainly go in the woods in my house and do it in front of the deer. Just ask them. I talked to some of you after church, and you got some heartache going on, and I'm like, oh, yes, let's pray, let's pray. Let's get in my car, spitting bullets, spitting nails, go in the back of my house, deer watching me. Oh, here comes crazy Pastor Jim. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're like, who is he talking to? God, you idiot. We all talk to God. We're deer. We know who he is. It's the people who don't know who he is, right? I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to be kidding. You see, despite how much some people love Christmas, many hate what it's about. Many forget what it's about. That would be a lot of us, right? We're so absorbed in everything, having to be perfect. Like, it's got to be perfect, or my relatives are all going to judge me. Listen, they're going to judge you more for being a cranky Christian than they ever are for bad food. They really are. Or some people, they just don't know. A lot of our young people today, it's not their fault. They don't even know what Christmas is about. Because we haven't told them. 
Now, some of you just sit here and go, Pastor Jim, it's very easy. Jesus is a sign of God's love for the world. John 3.16, you should have read that. It's much more positive and uplifting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's true. But the Christmas child is also a sign of judgment for those who reject King Jesus. The sign of Christmas actually calls for a decision from every single one of us. Who is the Christmas child? Who is he? And what does this child, what does this king want from you? And what does he want from me? You know, those two questions, who is the Christmas child and what does he want from us? Those two questions actually expose the problem with Christmas. There's two big problems with Christmas. And it comes down to this. Number one, God is too generous. Big problem. Really big problem. You ever have anybody give you this great gift? And you're like, oh no. (laughs) You're like, oh, Amazon's late this year on deliveries, right? You are like thinking it's going to be, you know, some like a card and like, you know, $10 gift card or something like that. And they give you this beautiful thing and you're just like, oh no, man, I got them like nothing. They're going to think I hate them. So you're stalling. You're thinking, oh good, I'll, I'll blame the delivery services or something like that. Watch it. I used to own a trucking company. All right. <laughs> so, and, uh, and so, and so we, we, we look at God, and if we really understand it, he gives us too much. He's too generous. And the second thing is kind of the flip side of that coin. The second problem with Christmas is this. He asked too much from us. He asked too much from us. You're saying, what in the world are you talking about? Well, if he's Emmanuel, God with us, on the one hand, what does God give us in the person of the Christmas child? He gives us himself. He gives us his son. Now, how many of you in this room have sons? How many of you this room? Okay, look at that. You have sons. I got two. I got two. If you came to me when my sons were little and you said, I would like you to give me your son, I would have said to you, not until they're teenagers. <laughs> Actually, I really didn't have a problem with my kids as teenagers. Simple parental advice. Don't count this against my time. Do not negotiate with terrorists. (laughs) All the kids are like, we loved you, Pastor Jim, until two minutes ago. (laughs) So God gives us himself in Emmanuel, in God with us, in God becoming a man. God is too generous. He gives us too much. When we get that, when it, when it comes upon us, we can't even deal with it. I can't, I can't even deal with it. I've been a follower of Jesus for 31 years. I can't even deal with it. That he would do that. That not only would he, would he become a man, put on human flesh, but he'd also die on the cross for my sins. Like there's still part of me that I, I, I get it, but I don't. You know what I mean? Like I get it, but I don't. So what's the other part of that coin, the other side of that coin? Because God gives all of himself to us, he asks for us to give all of ourselves to him. 
And very few people are willing to do that. Very few people are willing to do that. Very few people are willing to give to Jesus what he gave to us his whole life. For most people, what is it? Most people, religion is sort of an add-on. Some of people, they got a guilty conscience. And they're like, well, you know what? I go to church, I say a prayer, God's going to be pretty impressed, and I can go live, live like the devil the rest of the week. But I go to church, God. Other, other people, well, they just, religion is sort of an add-on. They're just like, well, you know what? If I go, it's a good thing. It might make my life better. You know, I'll go, I'll listen, sort of half pay attention. You know what? It's a good thing to go to church, and maybe my life will get better. But, you know, that's very short-lived. Did you know that? You can look religious for a whole lifetime, but you can't change what's on the inside till you meet Jesus. Or a lot of people just go for a short time. Not you people, other people. But I've met people over the years in this church. And, and man, what a mess they have made of their life for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, 50 years, 60 years, 15 years. Two Sundays in church, and they're done. Didn't work for me. I'm like, wait a minute now. You spend all those years messing up your life, and you give Jesus two Sundays. And I'm like, and you didn't even give your life to Jesus. So he hasn't even started with you yet. Maybe he started with you giving your life, but the work hasn't even really begun. Oh, it didn't work for me. didn't work for me. Your faith is not microwavable. Did you know that? If it was microwavable, you would pray the prayer, you'd go your own way, and then you'd be done with Jesus. But that's just not the way it works. Jesus kind of leaves us all in a place when we're constantly hanging on to him. And so Jesus is, God is too generous, and he asks too much of us. And then look what he tells Mary in verse 35. Simeon's still speaking. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, traditionally, and, and, and most people think, and I have too, and I, I don't disagree with this, that when he says a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that this refers to the piercing of Mary's heart when she sees Jesus on the cross. And I'm okay with that. I mean, she had to watch that. Here's her son, perfect. All he wanted to do was help people. All he wanted to do was preach the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. And they crucified him on a cross. But contextually, and remember Bible students, context is king. Look at what comes next. He says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That the thoughts of many hearts will be exposed. The thought of their hearts towards what? The sign. The Christmas child. So we must see that the sword that he's talking about is is a sharp sword that divides. How does it divide? You're either with Jesus or you're not. Neutrality is absolutely impossible by this sword, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you right now are like, Pastor Jim, man, it's Christmas. Why are you bumming us out? You, I don't want to think about this stuff. Understand this, loved ones. This is part of God's love towards you. God loves you too much to let you off the hook on this. 
God loves you too much. He loves me too much to pull the sword back. So we think everything's okay. And then we don't end up in heaven. He loves us too much for that. So he's not going to let that happen. Because a lot of people are like, well, I'm fine with Jesus. That's why we need to read the Bible very, very carefully. Read the scriptures very, very carefully. And we'll see that some of the people we would expect to be with Jesus, including ourselves, are not actually with Jesus as much as they think or as much as we think. I'll give you an example. The religious leaders. Jesus is out there doing all this stuff, telling people how to get to God. Every time they talk to him about God, all these learned men get just get stomped on by the logic and, and the sheer brain power of the carpenter from Nazareth, which is out in the, the, the boondocks. And what do they say? He pulls a demon out of people. Hey, demons, out! Lots of demonic activity when Jesus was around. You, you, out, hit the road. Where do they go? Jesus, he's got a devil. That's why the demons listen to him. That's what they say about him. And they're supposed to be the religious guys. They're supposed to be the leaders of the people. You go, well, that's just the corrupt religious leaders. Yeah, and then what do they do? They had him crucified on a cross. What about the apostles? They're always telling Jesus what to do. We, we read some of the stuff and, you know, Jesus is talking to a, to a woman at a well and he's telling her about the kingdom and he sends them into town to get some food and get rid of them, really. They come back. He's like, I'm not hungry. And they're like, what did, what did the roach coach come out here, man? What's the deal? Like, you, what do you mean you want food? We walked all the way into town. You want food. You think that people would, ne- the apostles would never talk to Jesus like that? You do. I do. God's a big guy. He can handle it. And then he goes, I have other food of which you do not know. Now, we think we'd be like, we'd be like you know, oh, yes, Jesus, spiritual food. Yes, we get it. The apostles didn't think that. They're like, he must have had a snack. They're supposed to be his friend. They talk to him in a nastiest way sometimes. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Like, oy vey, these guys, come on. Or, or his own family. Mary's part of them. They, 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 they come and they're like, Jesus, seriously, you're losing your mind. You're telling everybody you're God. Okay, sure, you're casting demons out. You're feeding 5,000 people with a happy meal. You're, you're, you know, you're you know, helping people with their leprosy. You're curing all kinds of diseases. You're making water turn into wine. I know for some of you that's your favorite miracle. But, um, and, so, and so you're doing all of these miracles. So you're rising the dead, but you're telling people you're God. You're, you're, you're doing the stuff that God does. We get it, but, but you're telling people you're God. Jesus' own family is like, hey, dude, man, you, you need to come home. You, you're cracking. You're, you're losing your mind. You're going to crack under the stress. You know what needs to happen to the religious leaders? You know what needs to happen to the apostles? You know what needs to happen to Jesus' friends? You know what needs to happen to Jesus' family? You know what needs to happen to Mary? You need to know what happens to me. You need to know what happens to you. We need the sword. That's what we need. That's why he's talking like this. You say, well, this is Simeon. My Jesus would never talk like that. You're right, because he doesn't exist. 
Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 39. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, that does not mean you're supposed to be fighting with your family members over the holidays. Okay? Jesus knows that if you come to put your trust in Jesus, that that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. That it's going to divide people. It's going to divide friendships. It's going to divide families. Listen to what he says, verse 35. For I have come to set a man against, and then he's going to go through a list. But before I say that, I want to let you know that he's not trying to purposely do that. That is a natural outcome of your following Jesus. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, some of you like that one, but that's, that's because you're sinners. Verse 36. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. It happens all over the place. It's happened to many of you. Many of your family, they're just like, do we have to invite them? Do we have to invite them? I told you the story. I met a guy from a neighborhood, our neighborhood, who had a neighborhood party years ago. And I saw him, and, and he goes, you know, I need to tell you something. We had a party two years ago. We didn't invite you. I said, that's okay. I don't get invited to a lot of places. I don't feel bad. And he said, um, well, because we felt weird, because we were all drunk, and you and your wife weren't. I said, did we make you feel weird? They said, no. Actually, what happened was when we had the party, everybody's like, where's the pastor and his wife? And they were like, they're so interesting to talk to. Probably just because we're sober. <laughs> right? But, but people will, people, you know, they're going to think weird things of you. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Man, that is soul, soul searching. What is it in my life? And in your life that we love, is it a person or a thing? What is it that we love more than Jesus? Verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. See, that's bad news. If, it's, if you don't follow Jesus, you think you found your life, it's all about you, it's all about everything that you want, and you're going to follow, you don't care about anything else, but anybody but yourself, or you don't care about God. He goes, you're going to lose your life. In the next life, you're going to lose it. And here's the good news. And he who loses his life for my sake, that doesn't mean you lose who you are, but your whole mindset changes when you trust in Jesus. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In chapter 1 of Luke, Mary says this, chapter 1, verse 47. She says, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Even Mary, the mother of our Lord, will have to turn to God and put her trust in her own baby. Even Mary had to have her thoughts and her heart revealed towards God, exposed towards God. Even Mary was confronted with the sword. And actually, I think it was harder for Mary and Joseph probably than anybody to, 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 to piece it all together. 
Now, I do believe that the cross pierced Mary's heart as she watched, but not only with the pain of watching her son suffer, but also with the reality of her son being the Savior. I know this is probably odd to say at Christmas, but think about the cross. Because what you think about the cross will tell you where you are with the Christmas child. What you think about the cross will tell you about where you are with the Lord Jesus. Unless Jesus was cut himself with the sword of God's wrath against sin on the cross, he could not defeat death by rising from the dead and ascending to heaven to be with his heavenly father, and he could not offer us the forgiveness of sin. Those who reject Jesus as God's plan for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life don't care that Jesus gave himself on the cross. Why? Because they want to keep themselves for themselves. They don't want to give themselves to the one who gave himself for them. You know, when you're a pastor, you you do a fair share of marriage counseling And you know what? A relationship doesn't work when one person gives themselves and the other person doesn't. It just doesn't work. And a relationship with Jesus will never work having him given himself to you unless you give yourself wholeheartedly to him. The reality of of Christmas is guys like me, you don't get a sermon. We've already gotten a sign, but it's important to see we're all going to get a sword. The Christmas child is the sword that it divides. He divides people, but he also divides us. And, he, and, he, and, and we can be very conflicted. He brings us an offer of salvation. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that he invites you. And, and when you read the scripture, you read he invites the most unlikely of characters. I don't know all of you, but I do know this. You're all big sinners. And I'll tell you this. The biggest sinner I know in this room is me. You don't have to say Amen. And so no matter what you've done, what he has done for you is more than enough because his grace is greater than your sin. The gospel, the message of Christmas is when our heart is truly open and revealed before the Lord, the sword of the cross of Christ cuts you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're willing to turn to God and put your trust in Jesus today, you can receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. Maybe for others of you, you need the sword today because you've grown dull. And you need the sharp cutting of Jesus' sword to sharpen you. So what do you want for Christmas? Simeon and Anna, who's listed in the next section, they get and they have what few people do. They have security and contentment. 
both in this life and the next, because they have seen and received the light. Simeon has peace. He's ready to die because he met Jesus. He picked up Jesus. He received Jesus to himself. And when you've met Jesus, you will be ready to die. Let me ask you the question, friend. Have you met Jesus? You can. You can have that security. You can have that contentment. You can have that confidence. Simply like Simeon. Receive the Savior. I know a lot of you are pretty jacked up about what has happened about Christmas. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm not upset about the state of Christmas at all. Because I realize that it's, it's the plan of God that people will be divided by the sword. That means that Jesus Christ can be what we read about earlier in the scriptures. To you, he can be a stumbling stone or a rock of offense. Or he can be the rock of your salvation. And so my question for you is, I, I, want, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I, wanna, I want you to really search your heart out. I want you to really say to yourself today, before you leave here today, has he been for me a rock of stumbling or a rock of salvation? And before you leave here today, make sure you choose which he is for you. And this is one of those things. Did you ever apply for a job and you get rejected? Here's the beautiful thing about heaven. If you apply with a true contrite heart, knowing that you are a sinner before a holy God, your application will be accepted. Because let me tell you, there's some bad resumes in this room. <laughs> but Jesus Christ will accept you. As a follower of Jesus, when it comes to Christmas, I'm not full of gloom and doom. I am full of confidence in the joyful reality of the wonder of the Christmas child, Emmanuel, God with us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope and pray you see the potential that stands before you today to respond to Jesus. I hope you hear Jesus' invitation today to remember that no response is to reject him but to turn to him and put your trust in him is the pathway to the forgiveness of sin and eternal life forever in heaven with God. Well, let's pray.